Before we look into the scriptures, I want to say a couple things. First of all, I've been asking you guys to pray. We uh, have identified a building that uh, may be available to us, and uh, we are doing all of the due diligence that we need to do to determine if this is a, a place for us to be, that we could make ourselves kind of a permanent home, or at least a semi-permanent home. And um, so we would ask for prayer about that. And uh, if you wouldn't mind to pray for our elders as they think this thing through and as we do all of our due diligence to determine if it is an appropriate place for us and a good place for us and if, if it's where God would have us be. So please pray for that. Other thing I want to do, I just want to take a moment this morning. I want to say a word of prayer. There's a young man that has attended our church a few times that some of the people in our church know that um, uh, was found a couple of nights ago. He had uh, committed suicide. And I uh, just want to take a moment. I want to pray for his family, and I want to pray for those who knew him well. If you would, bow your heads with me, and let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, it's a joyful season, and yet at the same time, we come to you right now with very heavy hearts. Lord, we know that the things that weigh people down in this room on any given day um, more than any one of us can handle apart from you. Lord, I, I, I don't know all of the issues that this young man faced. I know, Lord, that there came a moment where he felt um, hopeless, and helpless. I pray for his family. Uh, I can only imagine what they're going through this morning. I ask that you administer to them and give them peace. I pray for his friends. I know that he has some very close friends that are here in this church. And uh, Lord, I, I pray for them this morning. And I ask that you would give them peace. I pray, Lord, that you would comfort them. I can imagine that there might be Moments where they feel guilt, that if there's something that they could have said or done differently, that perhaps it would have changed that. Lord, I pray that you would give them the reassurance and the peace of mind to know that, uh, that nothing they could have said or done could have changed this. Lord, as we come to the scriptures this morning, I pray that you would give people here this morning hope. I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see what you would say to us this morning. And I pray that we'd be able to put all of the, just the, the excitement, the busyness, the uh, traveling, everything, put all of that aside for just the next few moments and that we would be expectant about hearing from you today. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Past three, in the past week, here in this last week, just before Christmas, three stories have dominated the news. In Australia, on Monday, a man ha- held 17 people uh, hostage in a downtown Sydney cafe for 17 hours, resulting in the death of two hostages and also the man who kidnapped them himself. On Wednesday, the Taliban entered a Pakistani school massacring 132 children, children, 132 children, 10 staff, and three soldiers shouting, God is great, as they roared through the halls of the school. Also on Wednesday, 
Sony Entertainment decided not to move forward with the planned Christmas Day release of a movie that had been made called The Interview in light of uh, terrorist-like threats to any theaters that might show that movie. I would suggest that there's a fearfulness in the world this year as we near Christmas. Maybe this fearfulness is... um, Sort of a, a realization that despite all of our assertions of the basic goodness of humanity, perhaps, maybe, there's this awakening, this awareness that there is something deeply and fundamentally wrong with humanity. Like something is broken. Uh, something that maybe can't be fixed. It's a fear. It's a fear that can be very paralyzing to people. Perhaps it plagues Many of you, and if you allow yourself to dwell on it all day long and all the time, it can bring you to a place where you sort of feel uh, completely stopped down. Maybe you feel like uh, things are so bad that they can't be fixed. If it's not, and if it's not that specific fear, there's a whole lot of other things in your life and in the world today that you can fear if you choose to, if you choose to dwell on it. passage that we're going to deal with today speaks to Uh, the issue of fear. And it also speaks to how to be free of fear, if you would like to find yourself free of fear, if you'd like to live a more uh, fearless life. uh, This particular passage speaks to it. If you have a Bible, I'd like for you to turn with me in it to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to look at, we're going to start reading at verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. We're in a series uh, we've been calling a shockingly ominous uh, Christmas, And we've been noticing in this series that the mood of the first Christmas was far more ominous than the warm, tender, sentimental expressions of Christmas as we like to think of Christmas. This year it's a little different. It feels like there is a very ominous mood uh, throughout our culture as we come to these last days before Christmas. But normally there is this warm, tender, sentimental feeling about Christmas. Even if it doesn't exist, it's what we long for. It's what we expect to be during the Christmas season. The first Christmas wasn't like that at all. And you'll see that in this passage this morning. My guess is that in this passage that we're going to read, many of you, uh, my guess is that many of you are very familiar with this passage. You probably have... uh, You've probably heard this passage read at Christmas pageants with little children wearing bathrobes, you know, or maybe, maybe this is a passage you'll remember that Linus goes up and reads from uh, on a stage in the Charlie Brown Christmas specials. My concern, though, is that your familiarity with this passage, what you think you know about this passage, is very different than what this passage is actually speaking about. And so I want to start reading it in Luke chapter 2. We'll start reading at verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
Was I right? Are many of you guys familiar with this passage? Yeah? I know that everybody here didn't grow up in church, so you might not have ever heard this passage before, but I I would guess that a lot of you um, are familiar with it. I think uh, most of the time when we read this passage or when we hear this passage, as I said a little while ago, you kind of know what the passage is about. You think you know what it's teaching because you've heard it so many times. And that happens. I mean, often familiarity, when it comes to the Bible, familiarity kind of breeds this sense that, um, well, I can just kind of skim over this because I know what it's about. I think, though, that this passage is not the warm, sentimental passage that many of you think it is and that it is often portrayed to be. If you notice, this is a passage about terror. This is a passage about fear. These shepherds are living in fields, minding their own business. It's nighttime. It's dark out. They're calm. They're quiet. And all of a sudden, the universe's largest floodlight is turned on them. And would you notice what the text says? It says that they were terrified. The the old King James Version that some of you may be familiar with says that they were sore afraid. And what what both the, I'm reading from the New International Version, what both the New International Version and the King James Version are trying to convey is something that English really doesn't convey very well. It really doesn't get across. In the ancient languages, this this passage was uh, originally uh, written in Greek, In the ancient languages, in the Greek language, if you wanted to emphasize something, you doubled it. So like you repeated the word twice. The Greek word for fear is the word phobos, phobos. And the Greek text literally reads this, phobe, phobos. In other words, that they were terrified, terrified. They they, They feared with a great fear. Like, this is fear on steroids. That's how terrified they were. Now, let me ask you something. Is there, is there anything, can you identify with this in any way, shape, or form? Like, in even just a small way, is there anything in your life that uh, makes you feel anything close to phobe, phobos? Anything at all? Let me give you three from my life. Snakes, hotel bedspreads, and the munchkins in the Wizard of Oz. All of those make me feel phobe phobos. I mean, they just absolutely freak me out, okay? Terrified, sore afraid, fearing with a great fear. That's, that's what it makes me feel. These shepherds, I want you to notice, are not feeling soothing, uh, tender feelings. They're feeling fear. But not just fear. Fear amplified. Heart-stopping fear is what these guys are feeling. And here's something that seems very odd to me. You may have noticed it about this passage. While it's dark outside, these guys are all fine. Like, like they're not scared. No worries. There could be all kinds of creepy critters out there. Lions, tigers, bears, oh my. There could be all of that out there. But they're not afraid of any of that. It's, when do they... When do they feel terrified? It's when the light comes on that they become phobe, phobos. Terrified, terrified. Sore afraid. Heart-stopping fear. Now that seems, that seems very backward to me. I don't, does it to you? 
Like, are you more, usually more afraid in the light or more afraid in the dark? I mean, like, I know the guys in the room are like, I'm never afraid. But everybody else, all the women in the room, are you usually more afraid in the dark or more afraid in the light? I would argue that most people are more afraid in the dark. But it's not the case for these guys. And I find that to be very curious. What this passage is illustrating is one of the great truths of the Bible, one of the great themes of the Bible, and it goes like this. We're going to put it up here on the screen so that you can see it. Men and women love the darkness, but the light of God terrifies them. Men and women love the darkness, but the light of God terrifies them. All human beings are afraid when they get into the light of God's truth. Why? Well, because it reveals everything about us. It reveals every flaw, every sin, every injustice that we've ever committed, every thought, every wrong thought that we've ever thought, every hateful thought, every unforgiving thought, every lustful thought, every greedy, selfish thought that we've ever thought. Everything we've ever done, it's all there. I mean, the light of God reveals all of that about us. Let me, let me, here's a way, here's a way, ladies, that some of you might be able to identify with this. Uh, Like, imagine going to a store and trying on bikinis, and there is like the brightest fluorescent light revealing every blemish every discoloration, every wrinkle, every dimple on your body while you're trying on. Is that frightening? Yes, it's very frightening. That's what the light of God is like when it shines on a human soul. That's the point of the passage. God's truth is so revealing that it shows us things about ourselves that we would prefer not to see and and not ever to have to deal with. This passage gives us some tremendous insight into the human soul. And, and I want to I give this to you. I want to break it down in a very practical way. And I, let me just start with this point, okay? All human beings, all human beings live in fear. All human beings live in fear. It's the most fundamental emotion that we experience, fear. The shepherds in this passage, are just pictures of the way that we all are. As soon as they get out of the darkness, as soon as we're out of the darkness and into the light of God's truth, we're afraid. Fear is the first and the most fundamental emotion that we experience. And if you want to understand people, you have to understand this. That they all live in fear. All of us do. Every one of them. Now let me just say, that wasn't wasn't the way it was supposed to be. In other words, that's not how God created us. In fact, this passage is actually an echo of of an ancient incident that is deeply embedded in every human being's heart, and it's in the history, uh, it's found in the history of Adam and Eve. The Bible tells us that when that when uh, Adam and Eve were first created, it says that they actually walked with God. We're told in the in the in the cool of the day, and that they they loved. Uh, the glory light of God. In fact, when the light of God came on them, they, they walked with God because the light of God's beauty and, and the light of God's glory was life itself to them. You know, they were great with the light of God. 
But then one day, the Bible tells us that they decided that they really didn't want God telling them how to live their lives. They wanted to be their own masters. They wanted to be their own rulers. They wanted to call their own shots. They wanted autonomy from God. And on that day, everything changed. Everything. That day, the glory of God came upon them, and they were phobe phobos themselves. Terrified, terrified. Sore afraid. They hid from God that day. They were so afraid. They had, and they hid behind these silly little fig leaf coverings that they had strung together for themselves. And on that day, unlike every other day in their life to that point, on that day when they said, we want autonomy, God, on that day when God called for Adam, Adam tells him, he says he's hiding. And God says, why? And Adam said this, I am afraid. I am afraid. He is full of fear. He hides his nakedness and has been that way ever since. The Bible tells us that we are all ruled by fear. It is the most basic, most foundational human emotion that there is. Now, here's the question. What is, what is fear? Well, if you think about it, fear is just exactly what Adam did. It's hiding It's wrapping yourself away and trying to make yourself safe on your own without God in your life at all. And what you end up doing is you wrap yourself up in these silly, precarious little things, these fig leaves that you think give you uh, security and safety. Now, let me give you some examples of fig leaves. There are many, but let me just give you a few examples of fig leaves that, that, that you perhaps use, that, that, that I use, that other people uh, use. L- let, me ju- let me start with religion. Could, because religion is a fig leaf that some people use um, to give themselves a sense of security. All man-made religions, every man-made religion, whether they are legalistic expressions of Christianity or other world religions, all of them are a way of hiding Because here's what they do. What legalism does, okay, because all world religions are legalistic in nature. What what they all do, what man-made religion does, is it reduces God's holiness down into a manageable code of conduct for human beings. Follow these rules and you will be saved. Whatever the rules are of that particular uh, religion. Follow those rules and you'll be saved. And so you can, you can hide behind those rules. Let me give you an example of that. For instance, um, if you wear long skirts and no makeup in some uh, legalistic expressions of Christianity, if you wear long skirts and no makeups, you can appear to be holy to everyone on the outside. See, you've put this on. You, you, you've worn this long skirt. That's a sign of your holiness. You don't wear makeup. That's a sign of your holiness. But at the same time, that you hide behind that, you can also hide your hateful, unholy, unforgiving, grudge-keeping heart. You see how that works? You look on the outside like you're holy, like, like, like you're one of those that understand and that can abide by whatever the rules of code of conduct are. But on the inside, there is this hateful heart that you can hide. Or in another world religion, for instance, if you, keep, if you keep women wearing burqas 
Externally, the men can appear to be holy. On the outside, I've got my woman wearing a burqa. That's, that's, that's what holy men do. They keep their women in burqas. But I can hide my unholy, lust-ridden heart on the inside, you see. That's what you do. So religion is a, it's a fig leaf. But so are like a host of of other things. For instance, uh, here's a fig leaf that, that many people, whether re- religious or not, whether they're Christian or not, here's a fig leaf that many people have, like a, a job. Many people uh, feel secure because they have a job. Or uh, some people feel secure because they're pretty or, or handsome. They feel like, well, as long as I've got my looks, I can feel secure and safe. In the world, some people is talent. You know, I'm a very talented person, and so you you feel you, you feel safe and secure in the world because of your talent. Uh, for some people, it's money. As long as I have money, as long as my bank account is is above a certain amount, I can I can feel safe and and secure. The problem is the reason that we live in fear is because though is because we tell ourselves these fig leaves keep us safe. But down deep inside, we all know they don't keep us safe. We know how precarious they are. We know um, that jobs might not be there tomorrow. A little mismanagement by the company and your job could be gone tomorrow. The economy tanks. Your job could be gone tomorrow. You know that. And we know that age can rob us of our looks. And we know that sometimes all the talent in the world won't get the job done. We know that cyber hackers across the world can hack into our financial accounts, steal everything that we've saved. These, these things that we wrap ourselves in to give us a sense of safety, we know how precarious these things are, don't we? So we don't like anybody or anything to come along and point out to us how weak these silly little fig leaves that we hide ourselves behind are. And so we all experience fear at a primal, foundational level in our lives. And there's all sorts of things we fear. We fear the future. We fear the past. We fear failure. We fear being seen for who we really are. We fear death. And we fear God because he is light and he is truth. And because when we get near him, he shatters our self-images and our self-deceptive fig leaves. Because we've built our self-images on jobs and looks and talent and money or some other code of conduct that some legalistic Christian leader in the world told us to follow. When we get near God and we get near his truth that talks about his holiness and our sin, we don't like it. It terrifies us. Because it shows us how weak the things are that we depend on and that we've built our lives upon. We even have to to lie to ourselves tremendously to build this sense of security and this self-image that we want to build about ourselves. We have to lie to ourselves to build that stuff. I do it. You do it. I saw something this past week. um, It's very interesting. I don't know if you caught this uh, or not. But... In the cyber hack of Sony Entertainment, you guys all know what I'm talking about, right? This uh, last week, somebody, you know, a bunch of hackers from North Korea hacked into Sony. I guess it was the week before, uh, so it was last week or something. But they hacked in and they started exposing, you know, all sorts of emails and things from Sony executives from one person to another. And in this uh, in this hack, 
uh, an email from an executive at Sony named Amy Pascal found the light of day. And Pascal had made some crass, uh, racist comments about movies that President Obama would have surely liked because he's black, she thought. And she wrote this to somebody else, and she thought that he would like uh, Django and 12 Years a Slave. And when these uh, emails came to light, she said this. I'm going to put it up here so you can see it. She said, she tried to apologize, and she said this. The content of my emails were insensitive and inappropriate, but are not an accurate reflection of who I am. Now, this is what I mean when I say that we have to lie to ourselves to build a self-image of ourselves without God. Because here's my question. If those comments are not an accurate reflection of who she is, my question is, who are they an accurate reflection of? Because she wrote them. Nobody else wrote them. She did. So if not an accurate reflection of her, then whom? What I think she's trying to say is that she's, she's not a person, I think she's trying to say that she's not a person who considers herself to be racist, but she is a person who sometimes writes racist things in an email, which perhaps is a distinction without a difference. It's, it's a fig leaf, right? It's a fig leaf. She has to lie to herself to keep this self-image up, that she's not a racist. Perhaps it would be easier to say, yep, I, I, I'm a racist, and I need to deal with that. But instead, she says, it's not an accurate reflection of who I am. Now, I want to be fair to her, because I don't want to seem like I'm picking on her. Who of us, certainly not me, who of us would want all of our private correspondence, all of our emails, all of our text messages to find the light of day. Certainly not me. So the glory light of God in this passage, what I, I really want you to understand, it wasn't soothing, and it didn't provoke warm, sentimental feelings for these shepherds. In fact, it, it terrified them. But what I want you to watch is what the angel says to them. These guys who are phobe phobos, terrified, terrified, sore afraid, fear on steroids, heart-stopping fear. I want you to notice what the angel says to them. The angel says, do not be afraid. In other words, there's a solution to this chronic fear that you live with. And the angel says three things. That if you get a hold of these three things, you will never have to experience fear again. You may experience fear, but you won't have to experience fear. It won't have to be something that drives your life anymore if you could just get a hold of these three things. And here they are. The first is, the first is, here's the solution to fear. The first is the gospel. The angel says, notice what the angel says, do not be afraid, I bring you good news. Circle that phrase, good news. 
that will cause great joy for all the people. This phrase, good news, is a Greek word that means uh, gospel. It means the gospel. What it's saying, what the angel here is saying, is that the gospel is the solution to all the fear that you experience in your life. All the fear of inadequacy. All the fear of being revealed to people. Uh, the fear of God. It says He's saying, you never have to fear again. Why? Because in the gospel, we find a way back to the relationship that Adam and Eve had in the garden with God before their sin, the kind of relationship where you can be completely vulnerable before God, completely you, naked, as it were, without having to try to hide behind fig leaves, before the light of God, with all of his light shining on you. And all he feels for you, with all of your flaws, with all of your failures, with all of your imperfections, with all of your sin, all that he feels for you is love. First John chapter 418, one of the, Jesus' disciples, a guy by the name of John, was writing about the incredibly significant impact of this kind of love. If, if the creator of the world can feel this kind of love for you, he says, here's the impact that it has. First John chapter 4, verse 18. Put it up here on the screen. It says, that kind of love, perfect love, drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. See, he's saying, he's saying if you can get... If you believe in the gospel, you can experience this kind of perfect love that drives out all fear. Because fear is based in punishment. It's this anticipation of punishment. It's this sense that, yes, I deserve punishment. I know I'm not what I ought to be. I know that all of my thoughts aren't great. I know that all the things I do and say are not great. Yeah, I mean, I'm not perfect. I know that. But the gospel deals with this fear of punishment. And it takes it away completely. It's a very insightful, uh, very insightful passage. The gospel eliminates fear because it proclaims that this child uh, born in a manger is going to take the punishment that you deserved for your sin, which we all have. My sin, your sin, we all have it. Uh, I, I, I struggle with sin today. You struggle with sin today. I struggle with it tomorrow. You struggle with it tomorrow. We all have sin in our lives. But it says that if you believe in the gospel, the punishment for that is gone because this little baby in the manger, he took the punishment that we deserved when he hung on a cross. Which leads us to the second thing that the angel says. He says, do not be afraid. He goes on and he says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And that's important to note, this, this, this word, a Savior has been born to you. The gospel, you see, it's not just a concept. It's not just a philosophical idea. It is bound up in a person, and that person is Jesus. And so the solution to fear is the understanding that Jesus is a Savior. He lived a perfect life, the life that we would have to live if we wanted a relationship with God without him, but we can't live because we know that we're all imperfect. So he 
he died a perfect death for our sins. So that if we believe in him personally, all of his work is imputed to us. His perfect life is imputed to us. His perfect death is imputed to us. It's transferred to us. And so God can accept us for Christ's sake. And I want you to hear this. Those of you who are perfectionists in the room, you don't have to raise your hand, but I know who you are because the people sitting next to you are doing this right now. Those of you who are perfectionists and who drive all the people uh, around you crazy with all of your perfectionism, you need to understand this. I know that behind behind that perfectionism is a fear of failure. You're scared to death that you'll fail. It will reveal to you, if you fail, that you're inadequate. It will reveal to the other people around you that you're inadequate. That is scary to people, to those of you who struggle with perfectionism. I want you to know that you will never find rest until you accept that Christ was perfect and you aren't. When you accept that, you will find that you are actually accepted just as you are and that God finds you perfect because of what Christ did for you on the cross. That's the gospel. And I want you to know that you will never overcome fear until you rest in him. Those of you who are afraid of rejection, afraid someone's going to look inside and see, uh, and see what's really there in you, what you know is there, and that genuinely is ugly and unworthy and shameful. I want you to know this, that God has already looked down and he's seen all of that about you. He knows all of that. You can't hide behind your fig leaves. He knows it's all there. He know, in fact, gasp, he knows things about you that you don't know. He has seen all of the text messages and all the emails and all of the inner and outer correspondence and he's seen your browser history. And he has seen into your future and he knows all of the horrible things that you haven't done or said yet that you're going to say and that you're going to do. And I want you to know that he knows what you would do if you were put in situations Like, if you ever thought to yourself, I don't know what I would do if I was in that situation, he knows exactly what you would do if you were in that situation. God has seen it all. And he says, if you will believe in my son, I can accept you with all of that. Every bit of... Understand something. He doesn't say, I can accept you in spite of that. No. He doesn't say that. So I can accept you with all of that. There's a big difference there. If I say I can accept you in spite of that, what I'm saying is, yeah, you know, um, I'll change you eventually. Uh, Then you'll be acceptable. No. God says, I accept you here and now. With all of that junk in your life, I accept you. For those who believe on the Savior, this baby born in a manger, Jesus Christ, God says, I accept you with all of your junk, every bit of it, and I love you. For those who believe in Jesus, you will never deal with the fear of rejection until you believe in Christ. You can take all the Dale Carnegie courses, all the self-help books. You can read all of those. You can listen to every Tony Robbins tape. But you will never, until you believe in Christ the Savior, deal with the fear of rejection. The solution to fear is the gospel personified 
in Jesus Christ. And then there's a third thing that the angel says that I want you to, I want you to see very closely. Because Jesus wasn't, he's not just a savior. There's something more. Watch this. The text says, the angel says, he is the Messiah, the Lord. Now would you just notice, not just a Messiah, not just a Lord. In other words, not just another way, not just another religious leader. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And it's as simple as that. And once you get a hold of this, you never have to fear again. He is God's solution to the broken world that we live in. He is the solution to the brokenness of humanity. He is the solution to racial and economic injustice and injustice in all of its forms. He is the solution to governmental corruption. He is the solution to death and tragedy. He is the solution to wars and rumors of war. He is the solution to acts of terrorism. He is the solution to tyranny of any kind. He is the solution to every problem that this planet faces. And he is the solution to your sin and to the fear that comes with it. And one day in the future, this Jesus, this Messiah, will rule the world in strength, in power, with perfect truth, with perfect justice. And for the first time, in, the hu- in human history, since Adam and Eve, this planet and everyone and everything in it will experience peace. Perfect peace. Because of this baby king that was born over 2,000 years ago, who died on a cross for his subjects, who was raised again, ascended into heaven, and will come back. To rule the world. But what I want you to know is that today, in this room, you can accept him as your Messiah. And you will no longer live in fear and terror. You no longer have to. If you accept him as your Messiah, The angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be a great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Make him your Messiah. Make him your Lord. And you'll never have to live in fear again. That's the message of Christmas. Would you bow your heads with me? Our Lord Jesus Christ, we can scarcely take all of that in. It is too much for us. 
We've heard this passage so many times that we tend to just kind of gloss over it. We don't understand. It's hard for us to get our heads around all of the significance of this passage, all that this passage means to the world, all all that it means to the planet, all that it means to us, to our own individual lives. We're so used to living in fear, we probably don't even notice it most of the time. And yet it is what drives all of us. Lord, for those that are here this morning that have never heard this before, maybe they've never heard that you love them, that you sent your son to die on a cross for them, that, you, that upon their belief in him, that you can accept them exactly the way that they are. Lord, I pray this morning that you would bring them to a point of repentance, that they would be able to say, yes, I am broken. I am fundamentally flawed. I am a sinner. Lord, be my Messiah, be my Savior. Lord, I pray that you would bring them to that place. Those, there are some here this morning that they've already come to that place, but they still live in fear. They don't apply the, the beauty of the cross of Jesus Christ to their lives. Lord, would you cause us to come to an understanding that the cross changes everything, that it even changes our fear that it frees us from fear, that it gives us the ability to experience peace, knowing that the creator of the world accepts me just the way I am. What difference does it make what anybody else says about me? What difference does it make when I fail, when I succeed, how much money I have, who likes me, what my job is, whatever? None of that makes any difference when the creator accepts me for who I am. Lord, would you cause us to realize the significance of your birth and your death on the cross for us. We worship you this morning, Lord. It's in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.